Hey, everybody, it's JT from Grilling at the Green. John Breaker and the great folks at Birdie Ball have a short time offer for all of you listeners. You just go to birdieball.com, and when you place your order, there's a place on that form for a discount code. Use G-A-T-G. That's G-A-T-G. Of course, it stands for Grilling at the Green. And you will get 20% off anything you order from birdieball.com. Now, it's a short-time offer. It expires in about a week, so you want to get on it. Go to birdieball.com, place your order, uh, use the code G-A-T-G, and get 20% off. You heard it here on Grilling at the Green. It's time for Grilling at the Green. Join Jeff Tracy as he explores the golfing lifestyle and tries to keep it in the short grass for the hackers, dew sweepers, and turf spankers. Here's Jeff. Just open up the door and let's take good times in. Hey everybody, welcome to Grilling in the Green here on AM860, The Answer in Portland. KSEY in Wichita Falls, WEEU back in Pennsylvania and sundry of other um, stations around the country at this point. We'd like to thank the folks at Painted Hills Natural Beef, Beef the Way Nature Intended, and also Ben Hogan Golf, home of the Hogan Demo Program, no risk or obligation to you. Check them out online at benhogangolf.com. Well, Barb Trammell, the CEO of the Oregon uh, Golf Association, is with us today. This will be Barb's last appearance on the show as the CEO of the OGA. And Barb's been very kind to me and been on the show several times over the years. But I wanted to take her out with a big shebang here. So she's back. Hi, Barb. How are you? I'm great, Jeff. How are you? Good to be with you. (laughs) I'm always good. Um, For those who don't know you, because we've got new listeners across the country sure. now. Give us a little bit of your uh, your history, and then we'll get into being the CEO and all the stuff you've done on rules and things around the country. But uh, give them a little brief snippet about where Barb Trammell came from and how mm-hmm. she got so involved in golf. Sure. Um, it uh, Well, much like probably everyone uh, who works in the golf industry, I grew up playing the game, uh, junior golf, uh, high school golf, went to college on a golf scholarship. So I've been around the game uh, my entire life. Uh, but, you know, it, it became very clear to me that that was my passion and that I would, uh, you know, form some sort of career in the golf industry, I didn't know at the time getting into it, you know, what, what exactly I would be doing. But sure. as, as you know, as my journey took me from sort of one area of the golf industry to another, uh, I've been really fortunate um, and I've met great people along the way. Uh, when I graduated from the University of Alabama, I, I coached uh, a women's golf team at Mississippi State for about three years. They were just starting a women's golf team. Uh, at that time. And uh, I, I, I traveled with the team for, for three years. From there, I, uh, I got into, actually, during that time, I got into the PGA program to get my PGA certification. And uh, I eventually moved down to Jackson, Mississippi, where I, I took a job as an assistant pro at a private club for about three years. Did a lot of teaching, uh, continued to do some playing. And, uh, and then from, from there, I had the 
an opportunity to join the LPGA tour uh, as a rules official. And this was, uh, that was, ended up into being a, a 19 year stint <laughs> with, with the tour. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I said to myself, well, they wanted a, at least a three-year commitment. So I made three years and it, it uh, quickly turned into 19. So I ended up, uh, you know, just kind of working my way through the ranks. It was the senior VP of tour operations uh, when I, I left in 2005 just to pursue some other opportunities. So, uh, and from there, um, started my own company for about a year and a half, just did some consulting and then uh, the opportunity with the Oregon Golf Association uh, was presented. Uh, and that was back in 2007. So I, I started here as CEO at the uh, October of 2007. So I'm actually in my, in my 15th year. So um, man, and to think you've done all that by the age of 40, that is great. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I started when I was a beer child. <laughs> yeah. It's, was it tough to get used to when when you're working for the LPGA, much like the the PGA or whatever, that's and you're in those positions that you described. There's a lot going on all the mm -hmm. time, and you're out there. I know you've uh, been a rules official at Augusta and done other things, very, very, really cool things. How do you make that adjustment when you come to the OGA? There's a lot going on, but it's very centric for Oregon golf. And mm -hmm. and you were up at that level and you're still at that level, but it's a different job. So, but sure. not as much travel, I'm I'm sure. And yeah. um, you can kind of go home every night, put your feet up yeah. on the couch, pet pet the kitty or the dog and have a <laughs> glass of wine and go forward. How's that? How's that adjustment? Yeah, you know, it was actually something that I really looked forward to, and it wasn't um, as difficult of a transition, perhaps, than you might think. Um, but but you're right. I, I think, well, one of the things that really uh, intrigued me about the role was, was getting off of the road as far as travel, not jumping on a plane every Monday. Mm -hmm. which I did for 19 years. And, uh, and you know, it, it's, it was very similar in terms of doing a lot of the same things that I had done, but just on a different level. Instead yeah. of working with golf professionals, now I'm working with the amateur side of the game. But a lot of, um, a lot of what I had done before, uh, you know, just, just translated very well uh, to this level. And, and, yeah, it was probably wasn't as – as kind of you articulated, I was going probably, you know, I felt like 500 miles an hour most sure. every day. And 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 being a, a rules official, it's funny. Somebody once told me when I kind of got into it, it, it it's much like uh, they described it as hours of sheer hours of boredom followed by moments of sheer terror. <laughs> Because you're kind of like a, a fireman, you, you know, you sit around, sometimes nothing is going on or you're monitoring pace of play and that sort of thing. Right. Uh, and then all of a sudden, boom, 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 you'll have two or three calls right in a row and you never know what you're driving into when right. you're, when you're walking up to a situation on a golf cart. But primarily when someone calls for a ruling, they're usually not in a good scenario. So yeah. you're trying to get somebody out of something or uh, they're asking for relief when you, you may have to say no. And, and sometimes, um, you know, so it, it uh, yes, I think uh, coming to the role of the OGA, I was really looking forward to a new challenge, being able to use uh, some of my uh, 
talents that I had developed over the years uh, working on the, uh, working on the tour and also with other organizations. Uh, sure. Like you mentioned, I had done some rules officiating with the USGA, with uh, the Masters, um, PGA. So um, um, it, it was it was a great transition for me. And and again, just um, remaining in the golf industry uh, in just a, another kind of a, in another area. It's got to be somewhat refreshing, and I'll tell you why I say that, because I had 30-odd years of getting on a plane almost every week of the year, Mm -hmm. going somewhere, coming back on Sunday night or Monday, and then Wednesday loading up again and headed back to to the airport. And like you say, you never know what you're really walking into Mm -hmm. when, when I decided to stop that part of my life. It actually, the first few months, it took me a while not to, you know, like the old fire horse in the old days, you know, you'd hear the bell, excuse me, and you thought you had to go, but there was no place to go except except to the studio. So it it can be, it was a, it was a bit of a challenge for me, Barb, to slow at a different pace, but a more methodical pace, I guess. Well, one of the things that, you know, I was not used to was, um, more or less working a Monday to Friday, mm-hmm. nine to five type of position. I had never had weekends off, you know, for 19 years. Yeah. Uh, except for the weeks, you know, that you were not working you sure. had, you know, a week at home. But uh, all, although we do here at the OGA, we've had, you know, lots of events that go through the weekend have a lot of weekend events so there you know were many times that i was on not to the extent that i was before though so that was uh, that was definitely a big change yeah it's it can be a huge change um but i think you came to like it actually over a period I, of time yeah I, I i really did i mean i i fell into it it, it didn't take me long to get acclimated I, I will say that to a different routine yeah uh, and it was just uh Although it was a different routine, it was still a very challenging routine because every day is different. And that's what I like about it. It's uh, you're not doing the same thing every day. Sure. We're going to take a break here on Grilling at the Green. Barb Trammell, the CEO of the OGA. Maybe we can get some more acronyms in there, too. I'm not sure, but (laughs) but we'll try. But Barb and I'll be back right after this. everybody it's jt and this is a special version of grilling at the green grilling at the green is brought to you in part by painted hills natural beef beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends that's painted hills natural beef welcome back to grilling and uh, grilling at the green here on AM 860 the answer in the golf news network i want to tell you really quick about the refit tournament coming up uh july t- or june 20th excuse me on columbia edgewater as you know and you listen to this show i'm a big supporter of benefit tournaments and the refit tournament i'm getting involved with this year a refit is a 501c3 what it does it basically uh refits homes 
for people that have sustained injuries, um, have permanent disabilities and stuff. So they widen doorways, they have put grab bars, uh, they eliminate barriers, wheelchair ramps. Yeah, I think you get the picture. If you want to find out more about the tournament, uh, you can reach out to me here at Grilling at the Green, or you can go to refitportland.org and find out more about that. But that's going to be June 20th up at Columbia Edgewater. Also, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter and all that. So today we're talking with Barb Trammell, who is the current CEO at the OGA. Um, We're going to make the big, everybody knows it, that pays attention here, Barb, but you're going to retire shortly uh, and that. But in your years at the OGA, what has been your biggest challenge, do you think? Hmm. You know, I I think mostly, um, you know, we're a membership based organization Mm -hmm. and we we had several years there. And this was indicative throughout allied golf associations throughout the country. That wasn't just an OGA uh, related challenge, but it was retaining membership and growing membership. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think for years we all struggled with that. You know, we, we kind of all went through the boom in the 90s with the tiger phenomenon and, and golf exploded, golf's popularity exploded, participation really grew, number of golf courses being built expanded. Uh, and then we sort of leveled out when when that sort of died down. Um, and you, you saw from a national standpoint, the numbers uh, reflected that in terms of participation. Some golf course closures, you know, they they sort of made golf out to be a dying sport, if you will. So I think the biggest challenge throughout that time um, was retaining membership, providing benefits of membership, uh, getting more people to play the game, getting them uh, associated with the OGA and and what we could provide in terms of playing opportunities and and that sort of thing. Um, And, you know, and and then go figure, we, we actually started membership growth prior to COVID. But then, you know, go figure. You, we have a pandemic and golf is popular. Boom. And yeah, <laughs> it was just kind of, it was really curious to me. But, you know, thank goodness we were able to, as far as golf courses remaining open, we were able to stay open. And, and you know, we became the sort of the go-to recreation during the, the COVID mm-hmm. days because it was, you could naturally socially, socially distance yourself playing uh, playing golf so um i've seen some real you know ups and downs and some ebbs and flows in terms of just um the industry the popularity of the game and and the numbers uh decreasing and now increasing and so right now i think the entire industry is is riding this wave uh if you will and um you know i think now our challenge is retention and retaining and how can we build on that sort of popularity boom that we have seen through COVID and, uh, you know, continue to get people excited about playing golf and playing more golf and, and getting their kids in the game and, uh, and that sort of thing. So it's been, it's been, it's been a challenge, but it's also been very rewarding. Yeah. Every time I, I live very close to the OGA mm-hmm. uh, and every time I drive by there's, there's people out on the course. You it's know. been amazing. We've, yeah, we've, we've been packed. If the weather is good, 
uh, everyone is, is the, the golf courses are full and it's yeah. not just the OGA course. I would venture to say even, you know, private clubs, memberships have increased and uh, public facilities, I think, are all primarily prime times are booked when uh, when the weather's good. Oh, absolutely. I mean, between the OGA and Langdon, which we don't live too far. Well, you don't mm -hmm. live here, but not too far from here. And when you go by, you always see golfers on the course. And yeah. that wasn't the case eight years ago. Right. No, you're you right. You know, you would see, you'd go by and it would be a nice spring day, maybe one o'clock in the afternoon. And there weren't too many people out there. So yeah. there, there was a bright side to the pandemic. If you want to look at it that way, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think I just, you know, our industry, we were very fortunate uh, that, you know, we were in a, a game, uh, a recreation, uh, an industry that really not only survived, but thrived throughout, you know, a, a pandemic which affected so many other industries uh, adversely. And it was just really a shame to, to see. Uh, so we were we were very fortunate. How do you figure out what to present to people as benefits i mean there's some standard ones yeah you can get your gin number or mm -hmm. maybe if you're a member uh you can get a little better tea time selection on certain programs and things like that but how do you figure out what to offer to prospective members mm -hmm. we so a lot of times by listening to members and, and what they want mm -hmm. and primarily um People who play golf want access, affordability, and they want opportunities to play. Uh, so that's mostly what we focus on. But then we've we've had some side benefits that I think, unbeknownst to all of us, when we offered them, uh, didn't know how it would be received. But for instance, our our relationships with uh, the employee stores here in the Portland metro area have become very popular benefits. Uh, the big three, as we call them, Nike, Adidas, Columbia, mm -hmm. uh, provides our members the ability to shop the employee stores uh, at least once or twice a year. Uh, and that's proven to be, have been a very popular benefit of membership. Sure. Um, we, again, as far as uh, access, we started uh, a passport program several years ago um, that really in partnering with a lot of our facilities have offered uh, great, if you will, rates at, uh, at their courses. And we've developed a book now that's got over 70 facilities uh, that, that participate in our passport program. And, and again, um, you know, thanks to those Oregon golf courses who do partner with us. So that's been a very popular benefit that can be purchased at a discounted rate if you're an OGA member. We're going to take another break here on Grilling at the Green. Barb Trammell, the CEO of the OGA, and I will be back right after this. Don't go away. Hey, it's JT, and this part of Grilling at the Green is brought to you in part by Ben Hogan Golf. Check them out online at benhogangolf.com. Welcome back to Grilling at the Green. Today, we've got Barb Trammell, the CEO of the OGA, the Oregon Golf Association. But before we get back to talking with Barb, 
Here's our weekly tip from Bruce Furman. Hi, this is Bruce Furman. I'm the Director of Instruction out at Langan Farms Golf Club. And today's tip, I'm going to talk about the differences in your iron swing and your driver swing. And fortunately, in golf, we have 14 clubs and, and we only need to learn one swing, but we have to adapt that swing to the different clubs. And when we're hitting an iron, we're going to make a descending blow, meaning we're going to hit the ball, then the ground. And when we hit a driver, we're making more of a level and ascending blow. So when you're hitting an iron, you want to play the ball a little more in the middle of your stance. When you take a practice swing, you want to try to brush the ground in front of where that imaginary ball is so that your low point is in front of the ball and not not behind the ball. Tour Pro's low point is actually two or three inches in front of the ball. Now, they, they do strike the ball, and then the divots kind of happens right at the same time. But But you've got to hit the ball and take a divot or brush the ground with an iron to get the ball to hit in the middle of the face and get the, the distance you want. And then, of course, with a driver swing, it's the opposite. We want to take a wide stance and play the ball forward. We want to lean slightly away from the target so you feel like you're a little more uphill because we want to make more of a level or an ascending blow, hit up on the ball. And when you take a practice swing and when you hit your real swing, you want to make an air swing. So that means you can ground the club behind the ball at the start, but when you swing through, don't even touch the grass. Just swing above the grass. Don't ever hit the grass or the ground because you don't want to hit down on your driver. Hit down on your irons. Don't hit down on your driver. I hope that helps you. Thank you, Bruce. We appreciate that. Folks, you can go to Langdon Farms, uh, look under instruction, Click on the icon. It'll be a drop down. There's a big, lovely picture of Bruce there and tell you about how you can get a lesson from him and do all that stuff. So uh, Bruce Furman, he's been with us now for several years and a great guy. Uh, we're talking with Barb Tremel, as we said, the CEO of the OGA here. When you when you take a job like a CEO, you've got a board of directors, you've got members to, to kind of answer to, if you will, like that. Um, I'm sure, you know, 90, 95% of the time it's all pleasant and good and everybody's going forward. Once in a while, there's probably somebody that's shaking a stick at you saying, why are we doing this? Um, excuse me, what in your, in your tenure there, Barb, and we talked about always trying to hold membership in that, but you're also a very well-known rules official, even though you don't do too much of that anymore, I don't think, right. but you were. How do you sometimes sit down with the membership and say, this is the rules that the USGA and the RNA came up with, and we're going to change it. And it, a lot of them, people look at it and say, oh, that's a good thing. It makes it a little easier for me to, to you know, know how to do a drop or whatever. But mm-hmm. is that a tough part of your administration to try to make sure that people understand that. I mean, if they're just going out to to practice and hit the ball and working on shots, they're not too concerned about that. But if they're, if they're actually playing and, or maybe they're in a little tournament or a men or a ladies club or something, they, they have to be aware of those things. And how difficult is that sometimes to get them to say, yeah, you can do that, but you can't do that. Yeah, you know, I would say most of the questions that we get, uh, aside from, you know, people having issues signing up for tournaments and that sort of thing, that that sort of thing has to do with rules of golf or rules of handicapping. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to, um, you know, part of our job as an allied golf association 
is governance, uh, as are all the other state regional golf associations throughout the country. Uh, so we are sort of the local arm of the USGA, if you will, in our region. And, and because of that, we, that's part of our charge. We uphold the rules of golf, administer and interpret, in some cases, uh, rules of golf and rules of handicapping. And I will say those are probably the two things that the average golfer is so much so passionate about. Um, you know, your, your handicap, oh my gosh, if somebody's handicap index uh, goes up for whatever reason or goes down in some cases for whatever reason, um, you'll hear someone being very passionate on the telephone <laughs> asking why. Uh, so our, our senior director of handicapping uh, has uh, deals with uh, most all of those questions. Um, but that 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 is part of the role that we play. And and your to your point, it is sometimes uh, difficult to communicate that. And when you have to communicate something that you know is not going to be received well on the other end, I think what you have to do, and and you know, I uh, did this in my past life when I was a rules official, is you have to take you as a person out of it mm-hmm. when you're delivering. For instance, in the rules of from the rules of golf standpoint, and even the rules of handicapping standpoint, it, it's um, it's it's not Barb Trammell is telling you no. It's the rules of golf do not permit this, and here's why, and here's where you can find it in the book. So if you can pretty much, you know, you have to sort of depersonalize it to sure. a certain extent, and and just communicate as best you can uh, what it says, and 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 um, you know, we realize people aren't going to like to hear some of those answers. Right. Uh, but um, we, we do a really good job, I think, just from a communication standpoint of uh, we do, for instance, a rule of the month article in our newsletters and in our handicap revision emails uh, every month that um, two of our senior rules officials put together for us. Um, we've received really great comments about that. They're very educational. Um, they contain a lot of, you know, great information for the average player. And then beyond that, just handling questions that come into the office um, is, is kind of keeps us busy as well. Well, what I like uh, that you kind of came under your watch, if it will, is that you started doing seminars, for lack mm-hmm. of a better yep. term, uh, to encourage people to come, not only understand the rules, but it would help them if they ever had any desire to yep. become a rules official uh, at the amateur level to start with and and help them understand that now i will yep. confess i've never found the time just because of my schedule to come sure. take one but it is on my bucket list i will i will tell you that to do that we, we have to rectify that we need to get you signed up yeah because i um I, you know, I wouldn't be doing this show if I didn't love the game and, yeah. and all that. But it, I think that's a very important. It It's kind of like you say, I think you take yourself out of it as a person and you become uh, a source of knowledge mm-hmm. to 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 deal with that. Did you ever have anybody when you were doing LPGA stuff mm-hmm. and that? Did you ever have anybody actually kind of I don't want to say get in your face about it that wouldn't be right but (laughs) vehemently disagree with your ruling oh yeah Uh, on several occasions i think everyone who's ever been a rules official has had that happen and and they're on occasion you know they'll ask for a second opinion 
yeah. which is their right to do. And uh, you'll get someone else to come in with a fresh set of eyes and, and um, either back you up or, or in some cases overrule. But uh, yeah, and again, especially uh, doing rules on a professional tour, they are in their office. And, you know, a one stroke in some cases can mean $30,000 when sure. you think about it. So every, every stroke counts and um, um, they are, uh, yeah, a lot of times they, there will be disagreements. And again, it's, it's, yeah, it's not all trying to take yourself out of it. Yeah. It's yeah. not all, it's not all puppies and rainbows out there for sure. Yeah. I, when, um, like when we had the Winco here and we were a photographer, I was a photographer, one mm -hmm. of them for that, but I would always see the rules guys kind of, it was, it was funny to me because they were, they were kind of parked in the shade, kind of out of the way, but yep. they had their radio, their headset on or whatever apparatus they were using. And then all of a sudden they'd be gone. You know, yeah. there's a question on six and phew, they'd be gone. And then yep. 20 minutes later, you'd see them right back in the shade, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> which I thought was smart because usually that was in the middle of summer and it was hot outside, you know, so they were doing that. But uh, I always, you know, they would just kind of, disappear they would go make their ruling and leave and come back so yeah i mean that was sort of that's that's kind of what we all do i mean you want to be in some cases visible but not overly conspicuous so it's yeah. you know uh, players doesn't want to see you hovering around or cruising up the side of a hole with the group now we do do that when you're timing for slow play but um for the most part People, you know, will will cover a certain area. So you always want to, you know, divide your your staff of officials up so that mm -hmm. someone is always within one or two holes of the entire golf course to get to a ruling quickly. Yeah. Uh, so that you're covered. We're gonna take a break. We're gonna be back with Barb Trammell right after this on Grilling at the Green. Hi everybody, it's JT, and this is a special version of Grilling at the Green. Grilling at the Green is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Welcome back to Grilling at the Green here on Golf News Net, AM860, The Answer, and in sundry of stations around the country. I'd like to thank you very much for joining us today. Also, we would like to thank the folks at Painted Hills Natural Beef, Beef the Way Nature Intended, and Ben Hogan Golf Tour Quality Clubs at factory direct prices right to you. That's benhogangolf.com. If you want to email us, it's, it's uh, really simple. You can go to info at grillingatthegreen.net. Um, or you can contact us there. If you go to the website there, uh, there's other links on there and uh, OGA link on there, of course, and you can um, contact us that way. Uh, we're talking with Barb Trammell, as we said, the CEO of the OGA here. Are you going to keep playing golf when you retire? <laughs> I think the question is, am I going to start playing golf? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah I have not played much uh, during my my time here. And it is, is really because of when I worked on tour, I sort of got out of playing. Yeah. Uh, as you might imagine, traveling so much and seeing a golf course every day of my life, the, the weeks I was home, I tended not to want to go to a golf course and do something different. And as you know, uh, when you stop playing for a period of time, it's awful hard to just pick it back up uh, without practicing. So I think um, 
yes, to answer your question, I'm, I'm hopeful with more time once I retire that I can get back into it. When is your official retirement date? Um, no set date um, at this point, Jeff. You know, I, I informed our executive committee last November that uh, 2022 would be my last year, but that I would be flexible uh, as to, you know, their timing, uh, you know, going through the interview process, then the search for my successor. So I will say that the uh, the interview process has started uh, just, just recently. Well, kind of in the middle of it right now. So uh, uh, there is no set time. I, I told them I'd be available to help onboard the new person for as long as that would, would take. So I, I think once someone is named, um, um, you know, I, I would estimate I'm, I'm still going to be around for another couple of months, I would, I would assume. Uh, beyond that, not sure. It just depends on who the individual is, who is selected, and um, if there's a relocation, you know, how long that, that lasts. Then I envision you somewhere where there's sunshine, maybe a chase lounge, a drink with an umbrella in it, and, and kind of enjoying life. You know, that sounds pretty good. Sounds yeah, pretty I thought good that would sound pretty good to you. Yeah. yeah. Um, last question for this segment, and then we'll um, go on to after hours, Barb. But is there anything that you wanted to do that you didn't quite get there to do it? That just time prevented it? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I don't know that anything really has bubbled to the surface that wanted to do that uh, didn't. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty proud of of what was accomplished in my time. You know, I think my goal was coming here. I wanted to leave the OGA uh, in a better position than, mm -hmm. than when I found it. And um, thanks to a terrific staff. Uh, they do all the heavy lifting. Uh, we've made some some great strides. And and one thing I will say I'm, I'm also proud of is just the kind of the establishment, nurturing, if you will, of, of relationships. Uh, we established the Golf Alliance of Oregon back in 2008. Uh, one of the first things that, that um, we did and brought together sort of the five core organizations uh, in the state, Golf Course Owners and Operators Association, the PGA chapter, Golf Course Superintendents Association, uh, the Club Managers of Oregon and, and the Oregon Golf Association. And just collaboration with all of those organizations, um, I will say we've, we've done some great things together. We've uh, co-funded three different economic impact studies, which were used to help educate state legislators on the mm -hmm. business of the game of golf and what it provides to the state, both economically and environmentally, as well as socially, recreationally. Uh, and then advocacy was a big, big thing that we did as a golf alliance. It really was formed to speak for one voice for the game of golf. And through that, uh, we had the ability to, to make some great relationships with the, the governor's office and with um, uh, the Speaker of the House, uh, other legislators. Uh, and that really proved, unbeknownst to us at the time when we started this, that proved to be very beneficial throughout the COVID era because I think because of establishing those relationships early on as we did really helped. They knew who we were. And they, uh, you know, we were fortunate uh, as opposed to the state of Washington had to shut down golf for right. a period of time right. uh, that we remained open. And uh, I give all the credit to the 
that collaboration that was formed through the Gulf Alliance of Oregon. There you go. Barb Trammell, CEO of the OGA. I want to thank you for being with us. Barb is going to stick around for a little bit for after hours. We'll be back uh, next week with another edition of Grilling at the Green here on uh, Portland's AM860, The Answer, the Golf News Net, and all the other stations. We appreciate you listening, and go out there and play some golf, everybody. Take care. Grilling at the Green is produced by JTSD Productions, LLC, in association with Salem Media Group, All Rights Reserved.